0: You didn't like Sergeant Pepper's? Sergeant Pepper's had Aerosmith, but then they get beat up. And I was already an Aerosmith fan when I watched this as a child. It was somewhat traumatizing.
1: You know? Welcome to the Edge of Nowhere. and welcome to part two of the first ever holiday Christmas special for Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. And I'm told it's the last. The way we're going, it probably <laughs> will be. I am your host, Jeremy Carr, here along with my co-host and the jingle to my bells, Wow, Mr. Matt OZero, A.K. The Moz. How are we doing today, Moz?
0: We get pretty suggestive in these openings, I the jingle to my
1: bells. Okay. Well, I had to outdo the elf to my shelf. Yeah, I guess you're sticking with a so, the theme for Christmas. I, I am. There you go. It's a themed program, right. so it's Christmas-themed intros. That's what you meant, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Anywho so let's get into it here our first segment as usual is old business and I am sure Moz has something for us on that end today you got some old business for us today right Moz
0: ah yes the holder folk we mentioned elves last time and uh, they attacked a smelter plant in Iceland but we didn't know the year it happened in 2011 that this smelter plant was besieged by elves Okay, it was just more like rock throwing, and they attributed it to elves, but still.
1: That's that's pretty recent for yeah. mythical-type elf stories going on, but uh, yeah. that's not really what I had in mind. Don't you have something else for us on Old Business Moths?
0: I think I know where you're going with this. I mentioned the e at one point last episode, and I meant the Quivatok. The e is like the caribou monster, the Quivitok are the old folks who can't keep up. They become these energies out in the tundra. Kind of reverse them, I think, so... Yeah, good for catching that.
1: That's also helpful for uh, keeping us on on the right level and stuff. We do want to correct our mistakes when we cross things up like that. But there's something else for old business, right, Moz? Oh, yeah, per our meeting. Ah, thank you, yes. The
0: apology, yeah.
1: Yes, please. Yeah. What do we do, Ruprecht?
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) we apologize. uh, I do have an apology because uh, we got off the rails a little bit on our first Christmas special and uh, we both agreed, uh, sort of, that I needed to do this.
1: I agreed that you need to do this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go. For those deeply disturbed by my last episode's dissection of a beloved Rankin-Bass Christmas special, I did not mean to insinuate that the elf who wanted to be a dentist had the same profile as a serial killer. Or that Rudolph the Red was Reindeer was a skin walker. Not deer. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, the evidence is intriguing, but I didn't mean to insinuate that. Nor did I mean to imply that Santa unleashes his evil doppelganger prior to Christmas in the form of Krampus or Knocked Ruprecht or, or anything like that to terrorize children and kind of get it out of his system before the holiday. Uh, but if you think about it, it's like Halloween. You know, we have trick-or-treat. The kids do trick-or-treat, right? So Santa's just Kind of do an adult version of that for Christmas. He comes out and does the trick night, the hell knight, as Rupricht, And he, Anyway, that's not what this is about. <laughs> and perhaps most of all, I did not mean to slander or implicate the DeLong puppet masters of Indonesia as being complicit with the Rankin-Bass plot against children. I apologize to them and to the greater culture of Indonesia who honor these fine beings of power. And, uh thank you maz well i had more but i'm not going to read it cuz i don't believe it i think that suf, uh, that's sufficient I, I, and i will say this i won't i won't do this again <laughs> i won't bumble it i guess is what oh, you should say oh bumble it there. there you go cuz i'm also sorry about the Adelit, the inuit wolf rape story and the and, and the ancient Lapland oh, yeah, technique of
1: everybody's sorry for that one
0: well not as sorry as the lapland technique that they bite off the reindeer's testicles so for domestication purposes
1: you don't talk about that again huh? i thought this was supposed to be an apology i'm not, just sorry I'm i mentioned that. <laughs> i
0: understand that a christmas special i should skip these parts
1: well th- we are monster lore tour yeah i just the whole rudolph is a not deer thing
0: yeah it's it's disturbing anyway
1: you know. <laughs> although <laughs> Chindy really I didn't get into that. I do think the Tooth Elf was a psychopathic serial killer, but outside of that, yeah, we were just theorizing. Nobody really thinks that Rudolph is evil around here. It's all good, kids. Just wanted to clear that up for the kids in the crowd because this is, you know, Christmas special. Yeah, but let's climb back on the Polar Express
0: and get this back on track. Yes, please, yes, please. Uh, But before we leave the elves and the frozen waste, uh, actually, we're going to stay in the frozen waste. We're just going to leave the elves Here's a quote from Nud Rasmussen to prove that there is this elf lore up and about these parts. This is from Nud Rasmussen's Travels, 1929, Intellectual Culture of the Igluic Eskimos. An Iowa, a little spirit, A-U-A, a woman that lives down by the seashore. There are many of these shore spirits who run about, pointed skin hood on their heads. Their breeches are queerly short and made of bear skin. They wear long boots with a black pattern and coats of sealskin. Their feet are twisted upward, and they seem to walk only on their heels. They hold their hands in such a fashion that the thumb is always bent in over the palm. Their arms are held raised up on the high with their hands together, incessantly stroking the head. They are bright and cheerful when one calls them, they resemble most of all sweet little live dolls. They're no taller than the length of a man's arm. So this is what, he when he talked to people, this... What they believed was poking around the frozen waste. They seem very elf-like,
1: or gnomish even. Yeah, with they got the pointiness, mm-hmm. that the pointed pointy heads. Hat. I mean, they said it was skin or something. Yeah, skin. So it's a little, little, little uh, more hellish, demonic sort of slant on it. But that Ooh. sounded very gnosh. The little people with the pointy hat and playing tricks could be a conical
0: head, and it's more like the yeti. <laughs> <laughs>
1: A conical Bigfoot. head, too. Yeah. yeah,
0: I don't know but the but the, the heels with the bent up it's very interesting that they have elf sightings and that these things are not just totally rank and bass produced and and made up over the years for Christmas that they kind of end up being steeped in folklore that goes sure. back to ancient times. Well,
1: I mean rank and bass was based on things. They didn't make that stuff up.
0: yeah, well, I mean, the other interesting part is on the boundary again of land and sea like they find these elves along the the, the shores. So, uh, always on the edge yeah, like elf on a continental shelf kind of thing. <laughs> but anyway prerequisites today there's an Arctic shapeshifter one check it out if you can uh, you could gra- or you could be grabbed by a Cathonic old one dragged into an ice cave and devoured by ice weasels so you might want to just mm-hmm. listen to that first one first But today we're going to get into the monstrous dynamics of this whole shamanic totem piece that's going on and and get into the, you know, more, again, kind of Arctic
1: shapeshifter kind of flavor to this whole thing. And tracing it back to the origins here, right? That's yeah, I want to
0: kind of find out who's behind all this. So it kind of took me on a quest for the first shaman. We're going to get to that to see, like, who started, what because the monster and the shaman and the trickster, there's so much overlap, and what came first, you know, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. Right, right. And if you recall, I did tease how King Arthur might be a shapeshifter. And that's going to be moved to our side trail today. So if you do remember that little Ooh, thing. King Arthur side trail, nice. Yeah, it's going to be our Jesus, King Arthur, and Nessie, all shapeshifters. and Nice. I th- these are not my theories. I know they sound like Maz type theories. They're not. Okay. So it should be fun. Uh, and uh, But let's jump into this, kind of get up, you know, head let's go, to the Ma's. Polar Express and kind of get Part going. Part two. Yep. I wanted to start to give you an idea how, again, old this is. Uh, This is a a gentleman talking uh, about E.R. Dodds, quoting about Plato, in effect, cross-fertilized a tradition of Greek rationalism with magico-religious ideas whose remoter origins belong to the northern shamanic cultures. Basically, this is a guy talking about how Plato was most influenced by Greeks, of course, but also... Shamanic cultures that northern group that we're going to be talking about today So if Plato was influenced it just gives you again another idea. Yeah, yeah. Of, and I know it goes back way before Plato, but it still kind of puts it in perspective
1: Well, yeah, by the time Plato came around and started recording it. It was already old stuff at exactly that point.
0: exactly But let's finish our arcticness off in that spooky region where the white reindeer movie was filmed Lapland last time
1: Oh, yeah, I still haven't watched that. I really got to watch that
0: movie After reading Abercrombie more deeply, and I mentioned him last week, who traveled through Lapland at the turn of the last century, I wanted to return to this because, again, we find these entangled monsters and shaman. There was this giant bird back then he describes as having a beak like five scythes. And here's the monsters a shaman might conjure up in those parts for various tasks. This is written old school, so it's kind of a little choppy, and it's actually not me this time. (laughs) Okay. An exorcist avers that he saddles snakes and puts a bit in the mouth of a bear and a wolf that they may run alongside him and gobble up the spells sent by village people. He threatens to raise a ram with twisted horns or an ox with horns to butt and push away a disease or ailment such as colic. He wishes an iron-hoofed mare reared in Karelia to kick a hisi away. Powerful back, vento, ox, or a wolf of Manala, a bear of calmas is invoked to extract the arrow of a sorcerer. He threatens to set his father's voracious hairy-nosed black dog at disease, a dog with a fiery mouth, with teeth like rakes, and with an iron heart that ere now has devoured a thousand men. Yikes. Now, the hissy means evil, and part of these things he's just conjuring up. As part of his yeks to go out and fight disease, fight uh, dark sorcery, and he's d- it's just more of a metaphor in a way. But at the same time, these things are very real to the shaman. As far as these totem animals, they're only they're not really just metaphors. They're kind of in between.
1: Sure, sure. That that liminal space that they spend a lot of their time in. You know, things are real and not real all at the same time.
0: Yep, some badass medicine men back then, basically. And shamanism in general looks similar to many other circumpolar tribes, the shaman being the conduit between the gods and men and also the cure of or cause of illness. The laps are even afraid to say the name of certain powerful spirits, much like the skin walker. That seems global as well. Don't name the monster, it will hear you. Did I mention uh, there's also an etymology between Santa and Satan we haven't discussed? Oh, wait, that's just the oh, Christmas Oh, well, yeah, order. everybody knows that, <laughs> This though. is the Christmas special. Here's a look at the nature deities that could also shapeshift, so here's some more Abercrombie. The Mordvins, M-O-R-D-V-I-N-S, sometimes picture to themselves the Water Mother as a beautiful woman with silky hair and girt with a silver girdle. Sometimes she is seen in the shape of a huge fish, surrounded by much smaller fish, which she sends away to different rivers and lakes. Dot, dot, dot. The forest wife of the Mordvins may appear as a beautiful woman, but she can change her shape and become manifest in the form of fire or a whirlwind. Occasionally, she comes to a village as a cat, a dog, a horse, or a wolf. So these are again the nature deities of the area. Again, the fire theme. We got whirlwinds. The whirlwind,
1: yeah, that that comes up a lot more than I yeah. expected. I thought that was a very specific to the Tunes, desert, the desert, d- the Tasmanian gym. devils from the well, day. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I thought it was really just a thing for the desert gin. Yeah. But there's another thing that just seems to tie together through all these different cultures and all these different myths of different creatures is this whirlwind effect. Yeah. And I I feel like
0: there's a possible UAP connection. One day we'll have to talk about a theory of the motion versus what we're seeing UAP. Yeah, Maybe like
1: end of season two, we can finally get to where we can tie all our stuff together like that. Yeah. We got, we got a ways to go before we get there though, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: I do have your first
0: reading coming up. It's a little bit more Abercrombie. And I think I said Abercrombie once last week, and it's Abercrombie, who's uh, Yek is a finch, by the way. Yeah,
1: I <laughs> bet it is. There it, go- there it is. Yeah. All right. The forest god of the laps, Loeb Olmai, L-O-E-I-B-O-L-M-A-I, ruled over all forest animals which were regarded as his herds, and luck in hunting or the reverse depended on his will. His favor was so important that according to one author, they made prayers and offerings to him every morning and evening under his special protection was the bear. The forest men of the Vodiacs send game to the hunter and food to the cattle. All the forest animals are in the power of the forest uncle or the forest man. He is of human shape and is inclined to be bad-tempered. To see him brings misfortune, usually sickness or death.
0: And again, there's this personification nature deity that's out there, Sir Leshis, all these other ones. It's the same idea. You come across them, it's a bad thing. Uh, they also, they're more ancestral with to say my uncle or my father, which reminded me of the Kiwa story we talked about when Bigfoot kind of strolled into camp. A lot of times they used to call him my grandfather, you know, Native Americans. It's kind right. of the same thing we're seeing. Now this is Lapland. We see the same thing, you know, basically everywhere. Uh, here's Aber- Abercrombie again. I'll take it. It would seem, too, that the stuff of which spirits were composed was much the same whether they were human spirits or the spirits that give apparent vitality to the phenomenon of nature. After death, some human spirits increased the host of spirits of disease or became the servants of water spirits. And when a worshiper died, his private tutelary spirit became functionless and ceased
1: to exist. So the spirit passes along with the person it's connected to? Well,
0: that's what we talked about a little bit with that Mert study with the Antarctic entangling of the kind of the totem animal and the person. We're going to get more into that when we talk about the kinema, which is this crocodile gods kind of person
1: down in South America. But, yeah. Oh, I just had like a really deep, crazy tangent in my brain. Can do I it. ask a question? I, I think you can. So the shaman and the spirit, are they just... Both like renditions of the same waveform, and when the shaman dies, the waveform collapses, and it all becomes one thing again. Are they really just one thing? In this
0: version for the Ontic pairing, yes. It sounds like that last piece. We talk about all these other versions of the totem animal dying, and it does. This is like the crow. The crow dies because you kill the crow, and he dies it's an entangled ontic pairing yeah. so the quave collapses but normally i see it more as the shaman as the composer and the other stuff as the music and those energies like that. that he's like using that. but but this for the ontic one it's is, like
1: the analogy we made previously about the the you know the shaman is is the uh, conductor and the yeks and spirits are right. the actual symphony they're conducting right very good, very good, Moss. Thank there you. we go.
0: I, don't, I can't even take credit for that. I've read some things where they're really, you know, we'll get to well, it. Well, just,
1: I, you know, that whole waveform collapsing thing that came into my head actually fits in with that well, so I, oh, I appreciate the callback to that analogy. We have more of that to come,
0: for sure. It, gets, it does get kind of quantum-y. Uh, we see another crossover of all shamans, devils, magic, fire, shapeshiftery goodness in one form or another. It also goes into the lempos. That is still. Lempos are still regarded as evil spirits of the forest, in stature as tall as trees, who do their best to lead travelers astray, as the vepsige form of the word. Uh, Lemboy, L-E-M-B-O-I, means not only devil, but also fire, flame, and it's possible that the lempo was at one time a personification of an ignis fatuus, the will of the wisps, a phenomenon that in Finnish is greatly termed verva, uh, verva tuli, in many respects, he is synonymous, or nearly so, with hissy, peru, and evil in general. It means evil, devil, so hisi is kind of the same thing in general. And peru, I don't know if, it, if it's related to preta or not, didn't get into that.
1: Oh, yeah, okay.
0: But getting tall again, like the hide behind or the longa whopper, and leading travels astray, which is everything. Brownies and elves seem to have some of the same abilities to, quote, or unquote, change their stature according to circumstances. But we see this overlap of those energies, totem, ancestor nature. It's kind of all put in a blender. Right, right. Abercrombie, one more time, wizards, sorcerers, witches, and diviners are to be found at every gate, at every fence, along every road, in damp dells, near water, and in fact, everywhere. Monsters on the edge of of wetness. Really everywhere. Yeah. But the boundary in particular, and that's always what it kind of comes back to.
1: It's Jeffrey Cohen's theory. Yeah, and so. just any boundary, tree lines, shorelines, like mouths of caves. Yeah. And just doorways, like Alex Bone's story from episode five mm-hmm. when him and his buddy were bicycling past that barn and the door started slamming and yeah. slamming and there was something standing like in the doorway right. at the edge of the thing. You know, yeah. like it's always at the edge of something. It's it's a really weird sort of thing. And even, like, the things that stand on the roof and look in the window, mm-hmm. like, that's still, like, boundaries, you know? It's Standing on the edge of the house, looking in the window, which is another edge of the house.
0: And even if you get into the you know hypnopompic and marahog stuff, you've got the end of the bed and you've got on the verge of sleep. So you've yeah. got between bed and not bed and you've got between sleep and awake. It's always these in-between states that seem to be fraught that's- with monsters for whatever reason which we'll, we'll solve by the end of this podcast.
1: Fear not. I hope so, man, because
0: I'm confused. Here, <laughs> <laughs> here's more on the Yek acquisition process. And this is from Penobscot Shamanism by uh, Frank Goldsmith Speck. Uh, this is another old one. New a lion told Mr. Ferris the following. The usual way for a witch man to secure his animal helper was to go out in the woods by the shore or a lake, according to the home of the animal, and sing to it gradually would appear and then the witch man would stroke it with his hand in order to bind the animal to become a servant so that's just a little more insight into how this might happen we talked about that uh torn anorak the shaman out uh, an inuit who had to kind of look for beasties and kind of make them as helpers we got a little insight into that this is a different
1: version it's like getting a dog. You call him over, you pet him, and you're bonded. But the singing is
0: the important part. And this is a, a thing we missed on a side trail, too. We talked about the golem. And you, we talked, if you don't, this is for like, this was a side trail we did uh, for another episode. But we did make a mistake in that. The golem, you, you kind of pushed together all this dirt, and then you did a ritual the the key part for the golem, and what I was trying to get to the point between the the, the and the golem is that the, the golem you need to actually put it in words uh, in a paper and stick it into the golem's mouth. The oh, shem, right. the actual power, is in the writing. But generally, whereas with the Tupalak it's, it's singing,
1: singing, but with the golem it's writing. Yeah, we didn't get that. We didn't make that. Right, like we did miss that the yeah. first time. Good clarification and brings everybody else back in the loop that hasn't heard the side trail in the member section.
0: But usually it's singing. Singing seems to be such a big component to this, again, the composer and and this, we we hear these.
1: Well, it's vibration, you know. Yep. Singing is a a very specific kind of vibration and what everything in the end is just vibration. So that makes a lot of sense to me.
0: And here's some of the breakdowns of those vibrations, those good vibrations. Uh, we're going to kind of try to look at this a little bit more deeply. I'm still trying to figure out how all this works, as you are. Here's Evan Pritchard's attempt uh, from the Zandi tribe of Africa he was looking at. And uh, this is paraphrased, but he kind of made it into a breakdown. of. He also does a good book on fairies. He's one of the has one of the definitive books on fairies, by the way. But he kind of breaks it down into the good, the bad, and the indifferent. And not, not his, my words, not his, but... Good being consulting articles, you know, prophecy or protection, seeking you know medicinal knowledge. Even uh, justified homicide is sometimes considered good because you're righting a wrong. But bad is just the sorcerer who did it first. If you're kind of attacking and you're doing something kind of clearly or work, you know, just doing kind of the seven deadly sins, basically, Right, as right. we call them, weekends. i call it tuesday there you go and it's wednesday dude but (laughs) and that's where i fall off yeah (laughs) and then the indifferent which is the general ancestral energies that are passed down from generation to generation shamanism is kind of this ambiguous kind of can be good can be bad kind of in the middle Um, so he kind of breaks it down a little bit that way and uh Bad spirits from the Gurung Dharma, if you look at towards the India side of things, there are also evil spirits which are distinguished as follows. You have these ghosts, but or pret, B-H-U-T or P-R-E-T, that's the preta that comes in, which live mostly on the rocks and in the forest and attack people by surprise. Then you have these spirits of people who died in an accident who never had funeral activities now and are constantly wandering around. These are all the angry ghosts that tend to show up. There were some... Breach in etiquette or taboo, and now we've got these displaced spirits that are that are annoyed. It's
1: the unfinished business, the unfinished sort of unfinished business. Aspect. They yeah. feel like there's something to be made up for yeah. before they can pass back to the crow.
0: I guess it's gonna be a crow episode. Yeah, very crowish there. Yep. Yeah. And then there are also the witches, beings of power, usually associated with illness and misfortune. The main task of a village priest is to fight evil spirits using rituals. So they, again, we start getting this dichotomy of the dark and the light, and then they're kind of fighting each other. Uh, another breakdown: uh, Richard Cavendish's Black Arts. I found Proclus adds he adds something. He goes in the fifth century, Proclus divided spirits into five groups. Four of them connected with the elements of fire, water, and earth, but he adds a fifth group which live underground. Spirits who live underground are exceptionally malicious. They attack miners and treasure hunters, cause earthquakes and eruptions, and lure people below ground to their deaths.
1: For all the Dungeons and Dragons people out there, it's the things that live in the Underdark. That's it's a right. very different world down there. Yeah. A sixth category was added in the
0: 11th century, Lucificum. L-U-C-I-F-U-G-U-M. Fly the light these fire spirits are usually described as hiding in the upper heavens and having no contact with men so we added a group underground and then a group above that's very detached and we really don't see them but the underground ones are on can come up to the you know kind of drag you down and, and cause mischief they're the troublemaker ones yeah exactly uh japanese we have the kamui it's k-a-m-u-i and that's the, back to this ainu slant which is again part of this uh part of Hokkaido, the northern Japanese region. Oh yeah, that we were getting into last time, yeah. Yeah, but in general this is just Japanese mythology. We have the Kamwe. This is from Japanese Mythology Handbook. The Kamwe, or spirit realm, breaks down into several subclasses. Some more powerful, some less pow- powerful. There is a fundamental difference between Perika Kamwe, kamwe uh, good Kamwe, hostile, malevolent, or koshni, K-O-S-H-N-E, which is neutral. The kamwe could assume any shape, When they reciprocated an offering of human beings they would dress in animal or tree or vegetation clothing a fish or a whale a tree or an animal were the outer garments of the kamwe who provided these things to the ainu when the deity returned to the kamwe homeland these outer garments were shed by the kamwe and became gifts to the person being visited the ramat r-a-m-a-t of the deity was still associated with the object Which needed to be treated with great respect. So again, we have a kind of a different breakdown, but it all comes back to good, bad, and ugly
1: kind of things. Well, it's interesting. It's giving its clothes over and things like that. Yes, back to 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 the skin. Oh, the It's the the same idea. We're going to talk. I think we've, I don't remember when we've talked about
0: stuff, but there's different breakdowns of even where the skin ends. And I don't know if we get to that in this. We talked about it right. It seems
1: much friendlier. It's all my notes. It seems much friendlier to just take the clothes than to take the skin, though. Well, that's why there, there's a, and I don't know if
0: we've gotten to it yet, but the skin itself is not where it ends. The beginning, the vital, some tribes believe the vital organs and the bones are actually you, and everything else can be changed, which ontologically allows for that. Right. Uh, uh, basically, new wardrobe of kind of a, in this case, vegetation, they're talking plant or animal. So it gets, again, quartz, we talked about. It gets mm-hmm. crazy. But basically, uh, one example of these that I found creepy was the yoke, Y-O-A-K-I-O-N-N-A. Yokai Onna, female Japanese snow spirit. She's apparently the spirit of a woman who froze to death in the elements, often connected to the personification of winter, kind of like Jack Frost's. She's a shape-shifting blizzard woman who will seduce and then freeze men to death in that order. Yikes. Yeah. So I think you're supposed to freeze your boyfriend after five days. I was going to say, is that why people take their clothes off when they're
1: freezing to death? Yeah. Well, that's, I think, a scientific reason. But, you know. Or maybe that's a mythical explanation for yeah. that phenomena that right. people actually get oh, warm. Oh, yeah. They, they they they're
0: thinking, oh, they took their clothes off because, you know, oh, yeah, good they point. Were, anyone good they point. found
1: frozen to death was naked, and they're like, yeah. why would they be naked? That's what they came up to explain yeah. it because they didn't yeah. know about the science of your body actually tricks itself into feeling warm as you're freezing to death. Yeah, like that data love pass incident. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Which we will cover at some point. But, but is, I gotta find a way to find a new angle on that. It's been so right. Done. Is she a portal guardian is what I'm wondering, like Buffalo Woman is is she,
0: you know Oh uh, yeah, or like the ayahuasca goddess or something. Yeah, she's some kind of well portal to death. Similar to Yoko Ono, was she was a portal guardian for the Beatles that they could not <laughs> pass. Yeah, she was a guardian that, of death also. What yeah.
1: to, <laughs> she killed all of it, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now now. She actually gave John Lennon recently some of the cuts that Paul McCarthy had I mean that John Lennon way, had. Yeah. And yeah, gave it to Paul McCartney. Yeah, that's
1: cool. And you know, she's she's so you know, we don't know what happened. She's and, not I don't think Yoko is bad. I just think she's crazy. <laughs> no way. We can't slander. <laughs> no, Yoko, she's she's an avant garde artist. She has true. to be crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, true. crazy comes with crazy the territory.
0: Good. Crazy like, like a Moz. We're crazy, too.
1: Like, I'm not saying <laughs> it is like a, a depredation or anything. I'm actually, you know, I, it's not that I think she's bad or ill intent. She's just crazy. Yeah. But that's, you know, part of who she is. It's all good.
0: There you go. But no matter how you slice it, it's tough to tease out the ancestral energy-generated monsters from the totem or the ancestral... What, what was what generated the monster? Was it ancestral energy? Was it a totem energy? Was it a nature deity? And it, you know, it's all these same energies. Or even
1: like a personal trauma sort of energy or something sometimes, right? Yeah. There's a lot of different things that can change your mindset to perceive more.
0: But... The, the culturally they'd end up breaking them into these same camps. It was a totem oh, spirit. I see, I see. It was a nature deity. It was an ancestor energy. It was a negative malevolent demonic energy.
1: Those the, malevolent ones are the ones that come from trauma.
0: Maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's a connection there. But first shift, this is back to my first shift stuff. You know, it's just medicine, you know, t- would attack with potions and darts and poisons and use medicine. The second shift would be more rudimentary kind of abilities to do kind of a psychic attack or astral attack. Third attack can more sophisticated astral assassins. And fourth, of course, you can turn into the monster and kill. And the night shift, you're perhaps no longer human and just an energetic demonic force that can go out and un- be unleashed like the Topolak, Yeah, just... Get into somebody and make them sick or something. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it, and there's overlap because the third, fourth, and fifth shifts could do that. But right. are you doing it totally as a just a demonic energy, or is it I part know, of your right, astral project? I don't know. It does. It does get murky. is mm-hmm. the bottom line, and they aren't. They, they just aren't easy to kind of tease out. Sometimes, but if you're a shaman pulling into the gas station, you need to work with landscape or elemental spirits, ancestral spirits, totem animals, or those unknown. Those are your. Those are your pr- primary. You know, unleaded gas or <laughs> what are you running on, Duncan?
1: Jet fuel, man, jet exactly. fuel. And
0: some are tutelary spirits, which also gets to be a little bit of a kind of mix-up, too. There's also this breakdown of nighttime good shaman and and dark shaman bad time. So if you could read this next one here about the and the of Botswana, that kind of spells it out a little bit. I love it.
1: The Bekhwana of Botswana. The Bekwana of Botswana distinguish between day sorcerers who practice sorcery only irregularly on specific occasions and usually for pay, and the more terrifying Night Witches who are accompanied by familiars in the form of animals, usually owls. The Night Witches are universally malicious and cast their spells over one and all. They are generally thought of as elderly women. The Basuto, a Bantu tribe in South Africa, also distinguish between two groups of sorcerers, one of which consists mainly of women who fly out at night, ride on sticks or on fleas, meet in assemblies and dance stark naked. In other societies, sorcerers are variously accused of cannibalism, incest, nymphomania and other activities offensive to society.
0: And that was from History of Witchcraft, Sorcerers, Heretics and Pagans,
1: Jeffrey B. Russell. Before we move on, I have a question. Shoot. How do you fly on a flea?
0: Yeah, no, there's a flea witch <laughs> connection
1: too. It's so, so wee and tiny though. Yeah. Like how they can does get that small,
0: they can get big, you know. Just like once you're in that energy, it's an wow. ant- what is the mechanism that's bringing you there?
1: You get small enough to ride on a flea, that's yeah. like even dangerous for Ant Man. <laughs> exactly that's crazy how small that would be yeah but that's again what they say
0: any size these and again is it the witch or is it just a a djinn and more shamanic energies that's totally dark and malevolent that's just energy or is it more attached to a human or is it somewhere in between it's what i'm trying to break down a little bit but we also have the uh dancing naked and this is you know another i told you lap dance the lap dance that's where it comes from
1: yeah totally exactly it's amazing how much I believe you on that now
0: <laughs> uh, naked rituals further connection between the witch and the shaman by the way and then there's this Huichol shamans of the Sierra Madre range mostly in Mexico who I mentioned same breakdown I think we mentioned this before the Huichol wolf shamanism and mus- a and muscaria and that's by Mark Hoffman he breaks down wolf shamans as kumakamai k-u-m-u-k-e-m-a-i father of the wolves and the K-A-U-Y-U-M-A-R-I-E, the deer person. They are the complementary dyad of the Hoikel culture heroes. So there's two groups. If you're a sorcerer, you get into the wolf club or the deer club. Deer does their stuff out during the day. We talked about this a little bit. Wolf, it's night. They need both of them. They understand both of them, but one is more associated
1: with Sisari. That is a very yin-yang sort of thing. It- for the two sides of that coin because you got the deer that's you know yeah mostly herbivorous non-predatory uh mostly around during the day and then you have the wolf who is the hardcore predator with the fangs and is very nocturnal so yeah that, that's it makes a lot of sense that they would use those two as the symbols yeah and they weren't
0: either They weren't just totally evil. They were more, like I said, yin and yangy. They needed both of those. They were both at a function in society, even though one
1: was subjugated to the darkness a little bit. You need wolves to keep the deer population healthy or else you end up with too many deer, right? Yep. There you go. It it, it is always a balance.
0: Yep. Uh, Why do we find such a connection between the animals of the area and this related monster mythos? This one comes from... Nun at Siak News, S-I-A-Q at the end. The animals that a culture recognizes, even in the most industrialized society, form the basis of its archetypes, one of the pillars upon which the society's ideals rest. So the totem animal becomes what the, the entire culture is kind of built on a little bit. Right, right. I'm finding more of a connection in some key anthropological papers, one from India about ancestral spirits and the land, which was really interesting, so kind of put a pin in that. Uh, But today's spotlighted example of energy breakdown comes from way up in the Himalayas. But I want to stress I could have picked thousands of different tribes or cultures from across the globe, and we find variations of the same themes. I had to pick a cold place, so I picked the Himalayas.
1: The Himalayas is a good one. Everybody knows what that terrain's like because all those pictures of Everest and everything.
0: And this kind of has a really good breakdown of what we've been talking about. Let's discuss, uh, it's the Doya Tovinians, is the tribe, a specific group of reindeer herders again. They have the Chogars. It's always
1: the reindeer specifically. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. A lot of reindeer herders. And again, they thought the reindeer were the people. Uh, you know, just like the Vodiacs thought the bear were the people and the, and the Tlingit thought the otter were kind of descended from people and then there's the right, bears. Yeah. You know, it's the same idea. We touched on the Chogar last time. Chogar in Mongolian means demon, ghost, or the soul of a deceased person. In Mongolian folklore, this character is realized through the idea of a soul straying on earth for different reasons, early or tragic death, a sinful life, or just confusion and fear that made the soul lose the correct path after death. Such souls are not reborn, but have to stay on earth in the form of a ghost or a demon.
1: So that's the... Oh, so they're not even here by choice or by just like not knowing their situation. They're actually trapped here. They're trapped. Like they can't leave. Yeah, and it's associated with a more demonic energy.
0: That was from Soloveva, Faces of Mongolian Fear, Demonological Beliefs, Narratives, and Protective Measures in Contemporary Folk Religion. Here's another one from uh, Benedict M. Christensen. Again, everything will be available in the show notes. Without people's bad minds and hearts, there would be no pollution. There would be no Chogar. For example, if a shaman has a bad mind, makes poison, Zorlox, X-O-R-L-O-X, then look. Ancestral spirits get polluted. They get a bad mind. Chogars, devils, are things connected to people's bad mind and heart. So when the ancient stuff, the ancestor spirits get polluted, and the land becomes polluted, if the mine becomes polluted, it results in this kind of chogar.
1: Living in Flagstaff for the last 14 years, I have heard this theory in many forms about what's going on up on that mountain. Yeah. Because the gray water and the Them using the reclaimed wastewater to make snow on on the Sacred Peak is not going over well, let me tell you. Cause that's where it's poisoning the spirit of their people. Right. Like it's going to kill the mountain. Right. That's what that means. Like we don't understand how to translate what they're telling us with this stuff. They're literally killing the environment in Flagstaff so that people can ski more.
0: Yeah.
1: And don't go where the Huskies go. And don't you eat that yellow snow either.
0: That's also (laughs) (laughs) so important. Zappa. (laughs) But we create these things from our dark hearts. Uh, and again, they have the same breakdown. The Ezis are those landscape spirits or elementals. E Z E S, like the Leshy, Sornunis, water sprites. The luck are the ancestor spirits. L U C. The On gods are the shamanic helper spirits, those animal totems. And again, the Chogar, are these dangerous demon-like spirits or these, you know, ancestors that are not at rest, like the Kala of Kamchatka or, or the Lempo we just talked about from Lapland. There's a Wakufa in uh, in, uh, southern Chile as well I just came across. Same idea, same breakdown, kind of wherever you kind of look. Still from uh, Christensen. Conducting wrong sacrifices, hunting, urinating, or digging holes in the ground results in pollution, which may anger and sometimes transform a luck, L-U-C, into a chogar. Devil-polluted places are known as chogartai, devilish places where demon-like spirits roam, spreading misfortune, illness among humans.
1: Did you basically just tell me I'm not allowed to pee in the woods? It's like the Brumidji. Remember we talked about the... I can't the, pee in the woods. Everything <laughs> pees in the woods. I can't feel bad about peeing in the woods.
0: I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm with you on that. We're going to have to figure out what that even means. But for the Mongolians, it's a bad thing. There's places to do everything, I guess. and
1: Oh, maybe it's an environmental you know. thing with that high desert kind of environment. Mm-hmm. That stuff just stays wherever you put it a lot of the time. So yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's a culture of the environment kind of thing Okay. well this might explain more
0: same guy we were told to bury the dead they burned our on gods and they burrowed holes in the earth to search for stones and so luck became Chogar also today these tourists they do not know so they bury holes urinate the luck becomes angry and sometimes they turn into Chogars uh, they'll steal your soul and make you mad again driving a crazy another major theme Life is mad, like completely out of your mind, not just angry. Right. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. And that's a common ability of these things.
1: Well, I assume that if something rips out your soul, you're going to completely lose your mind, right? Yeah, that's very
0: Lovecraftian. If you read any Lovecraft book, just flip to the last page, and this is what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) What? <laughs> just
1: just jump to the jump end. Jump to the end.
0: <laughs> Life is difficult today. There is not many reindeer left. People drink too much and our homeland has become polluted and dangerous. these chogar they make people go mad. Sounds like the concept of the Wetico again too and
1: or topamansi, you know, and all that. Oh uh, yeah, the uh, Wendigo. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, cuz they they lose their mind and turn all cannibal.
0: Yeah. I think the Iraq can do that that we talked about last week. The Kushtika can do that from the Tlingit. We're going to do a spotlight critter one on that. There's Elsys mite from Guatemala. There's a lot of things that if you run into can drive you crazy. So, Pachogar last Including Maz. Including Maz. <laughs> that goes without saying. If a chogar's body infects a person's body, his or her human nature may be transformed into something in between humanness and chogarness, again, in between. Shamans deliberately use a similar transformation of nature when they put on their shamanic dress. They receive the kuk, X-U-C-H, and the on gods are transformed into a being between the nature of humans and on gods that's the totem animal cat. When they take off the dress, the skin, They return to their ordinary human state. The layman put on a shamanic dress. He is likely to become mad as he does not have the acquired power, kook, to return his ordinary human nature. So he can't return to his ordinary nature. Oh, he can't fix himself after because he he doesn't know how to control it. Yeah, I wonder if that's like what happened in the Middle Ages when they had this werewolf attacking a whole town. Like it was it was a person of power that blew right. it or someone tried on a shaman's cloak and shouldn't have been or, or was experimenting and couldn't get their way back. So they became
1: it's totally like a, al- the altered states, the I beast. Would, yeah, Humbaba. the altered states. Yeah, totally, because yeah. he didn't know how to control it and he just turns into a monkey. Yeah. But you know what this really brings me back to is episode one what are monsters episode one of this podcast mm-hmm. we talk about when you get into the microscopic the yeah and the the, the uh chimeraism mm-hmm. of everything and that nothing is one thing that i just realized how much that describes what we're talking about with all this whole arc of yours is we think of people as one thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: nothing is just one thing these people have learned how to tap into that yeah, and become all those different things that they actually are and not because they're no longer convinced they're just one thing. I wish
0: I had the quote, but it's that collection of turmeric energy, you know, things that are yeah. not one thing. It was from Mary Jane Rubenstein's uh, pantheologies was the chapter high. There you go. You can find it back is, in
1: episode 1 if you're if you're curious enough to go back and listen. Yeah.
0: But it basically it's just showing how, you know, basically on a microscopic level it's just these battles of things battling and we're, or working together and just moving up the chain as a collection of of tiny entities that are neither the same nor different
1: again in between. We keep going in between. Yeah. I I just definitely just went up another step on took another step on that road from hate to love right here maz i appreciate you
0: that's good to be the opposite i took it from love to hate so we took one we step. are the yin yeah, and, yang, and yang and we exactly. move in
1: opposite directions even yeah. though we're the same thing moving together it's very quantum yeah yeah very shamanic and very in between
0: and those not prepared or put on the wrong shirt you know go mad or you try to assimilate a totem you couldn't control, like the Kigatuluk, which we talked about uh, in the Inuit lore with Nud Rasmussen again, where that whole, he couldn't do that one, it became a shaman killer. Right, if the shaman doesn't control it, it turns into a hunter of yeah. the shaman. Yes, and the Indo-Vedic mythos, they're known as Kublakon Khan, in the Igluic language, the helping shaman spirit is called Apophat, or the one that exists to be questioned, which sounds more like the Greek daemon, but that's the totem. As being, as being more of a, a tutelary spirit. So yeah. there's that overlap again. Is it tutelary? Is it totem? It's both. It exists Is it a floral wax? Is it a dessert topping?
1: It it almost sounds very oracle yeah. to me. Like you only go to it when you have some kind of big question you're looking for an answer
0: to. Well, Socrates had Phaedrius, and uh, Jung had his daemon as well, and they, they had this kind of open dialogue. Yeah, you know. yeah. But since we're in Mongolia, I have to ask: What if a Yetis Yak were a yak? <laughs> I wrote that ahead of time, but I just had to share that. I just Yetis if Yak. Was a
1: Yetis Yak. Yak, was yak, a yak. Yak. Yetis Yak. Yak. Yeah, could be. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna change my name.
0: <laughs> but I just saw this bit on a show called Evil Encounters where these two teenagers. This is a kind of a TV show. I think I caught it on YouTube. Uh, wandering through the woods, taking pot shots at whatever, this is the quote of theirs, whatever came into our crosshairs. Uh, that's what kids do when they get little pot, you know, little, little guns, and they go out into the woods and they shoot at things. A Sasquatch ends up chasing them all the way back to their house, enraged, like smashing garbage cans into the house, side of the house, pounding on stuff like it's going to kill them. And they really thought this thing was just going to tear them limb from limb. So I have a theory about this. Huh. What if the Sasquatch, they've just taken pot shots and they shoot something that was the Bigfoot's yek, and they knew it wasn't for hunting. Like Maybe they can determine, you're looking for food, I understand that. These kids are just trying to shoot things and keep walking. If they shot and injured the Bigfoot's yack, yeah, that would actually make a
1: normally, normally docile entity not so docile. Yeah, that would definitely enrage them. And I mean, it also... Can play into our theory about the guardian, right? Exactly, the guardian spirit kind of thing that those kids pissed off. Yeah, the you know whatever was in control of that woods enough that it physically came after them. We just talked about the Lempo, which was the Lapland
0: guardians, but you know again we come across these nature deities everywhere. Back to that Yek transmutability piece. There's one more piece from Brad Steiger again. Perhaps because of the association with wolves, which according to recent research began over 140,000 years ago, many tribes in Europe and the Americas believed that their ancestors truly had been wolves. Many Native American tribes contain legends that tell how the first tribes that ever existed were wolf people. At first, according to these traditions, the wolf people walked on all fours. After time, it seemed a good thing to begin walking upright and very slowly at first to become humans. So we see that Chindi piece where they start to stand on two legs, which is the... Explains all the wolfman, dogman type stuff going on out there. Yeah. The two authorities on the subject of wolves is Brad Steiger and Linda Godfrey, and I would love to hear a conversation from those two. I know Linda Godfrey passed away this past year, uh, but one does exist. I found it in Steiger's book, Real Monsters, Gruesome Critters, and Beasts from the Dark Side. And that was a happy research moment. You know, Steiger asked Godfrey about shamanism and they even discuss a link between Bigfoot, the Wendigo, and other Native American traditions, which we all at MLT know is the what? Do you remember that? Grandfather. There was a connection between the Bigfoot. If you remember, don't remember this beastie, it's okay. It's the Kiwa. The Kiwa. Yeah. But she went with Godfrey, goes with the Hairy Hearts of the Cree, which is another. We'll get back to that. We'll circle back to that for sure. But it's pretty cool that they had kind of a very similar conversation that that we did. Of course, they did it earlier, you know, but good for them. But we'll circle back to that when we do When to Go and, you know, when we start craving human flesh insatiably when we get to that <laughs> specifically yeah yeah or we'll just order pizza with a meat pizza that will compromise in between you know in between we're gonna eat meat lovers i'm gonna eat you for <laughs> wolfman pucks <Muzz. laughs> No, no we're on a plane i think i'm the one who's gonna be like look at that person in 4c that make a great wolfman book
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you're like totally offended by it i've just come to terms with it we talk about eating people all the time now it's become passe <laughs> But there is a pervasive belief that the soul having a dual nature among the shamanic cultures which makes this whole separation possible the chukchi of siberia give us another example to explore this is the one you know i think we're going to get to what i was just talking about i'm not sure i, I write a lot of episodes this from facts if you can read this one jeremy i would appreciate it
1: many arctic people believe that each person has two souls One, a shadow soul that may leave the body during sleep or unconsciousness and take the form of a bee or a butterfly, and two, a breath soul that provides life to humans and animals. Many groups believe the life forces lie within the bones, blood, and vital organs. For this reason, the bones of the dead are treated with great reverence so a new life can be regenerated from them. By the same token, it was believed that if you ate the hearts and livers of your enemy, you could absorb their power and prevent them from being reincarnated.
0: Or if you're Alex Boney, just do it for fun.
1: That's a really common one amongst all the, you know, considered cannibalistic tribes I've mm-hmm. kinda ever heard of is you eat those pieces of your enemy to gain their power. Yeah,
0: especially the hard and the and the darker ones, the vampires, it's more the intestines and the liver and some of the other viscera. So it's interesting that there's a good part to eat and there's the bad parts to eat. You it's, know
1: it's why Hannibal had liver with his flava beans.
0: Exactly. The Chukchi think the soul is enmeshed, and this is what I just talked about. We, we jump ahead of ourselves so much. It's in a good way, in a good way. But the Chukchi think the soul is enmeshed with the bones and some of their inner organs. Everything else is changeable, mutable, subject to attack, or can be changed like a shirt. Not only is that a different convention of thought, it's a profoundly different ontological division of inside-outside. So inside is only your bones and the inner viscera, and this is why skin-changing and shape-shifting
1: is a thing for so many that they can accept. So flesh is really just like Plato. Yeah. You can make it into whatever you want. Yep. It's just the actual framework under the flesh that's the real thing. Right. So you and I and most of the West believe that it
0: ends begins at the skin. Obviously, Eastern, it's the Hara, so the energy surrounding it. Maybe the West, it's just where the skin starts, is the beginning of the person. These go deeper, literally.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's a very interesting take on it. Yeah. You
0: know, and I do, I think it's uh, it, it still brings to the question of Chukchi shaman transforms into a bear. Does A, no one notice, B, everyone notice, C, only tribal members or other members of the community notice? I think it might be C, but could a stronger shaman hit the B level where anybody can see it transform? And I think that's what we're trying to figure out. I here. hope so. Yeah, because that would be cool, you know. But that dualistic piece comes up again in the Mongolian tribes as well. They blame the conflict and the monsters on communism. In the American Southwest, it was the battle of Christianity. But for, you know, the Mongols, it was the Cossacks. Uh, But it's a similar breakdown to this black elk thing where they actually divide it up side by side, where it's it's basically Thunderbirds to the west and the Wolf of the East. And they've got a similar breakdown in Mongolia where it's two things side by side. And they're not really truly evil. They're more of these guardian... Yeah, it's a yin-yang thing. Yeah, it's not as true
1: evil as as some of the other things get. It's it's light and dark. Yeah. Uh, Not necessarily good and evil because it just balance but even good and evil it's always has always has to be in balance you know
0: it's snow miser heat miser which brings us to today's
1: the oh, no, no i'm just kidding i'm kidding he's working oh, i was no. not
0: allowed to do that so we have to wait till <laughs> next year before i can
1: we need something for next christmas anyway boss
0: before i can totally mess things up again but if you could read the crooks of mongolian this this is a grimoire i found that kind of gets at the heart of some of this mongolianness that we're talking about and it gets a little bit deeper into it
1: the original Mongolian belief system contained the Good-Bad Opposition. Its traces are clearly represented in the Mongolian heroic epics. The concept of bad is connected with the concept of evil in the figures of Mangias and Shynus. Mangias is the embodiment of the enemy. Which turned into a monster from a human shaped figure with several heads and a huge body. The Shulmas,
0: your favorite,
1: originating from Buddhist mythology, means the evil Mara, and although the two figures preserved their own features, their roles could be changed in the folklore texts. And regardless of being good or evil, they live side by side in the sky which is divided horizontally into two parts. Western, the realm of the benevolent gods, and Eastern, the realm of malevolent gods. Acor- so it's the same as the it's wolf the same. and the thunderbird. The it, East, it is, is, yeah, the east evil, is worse. The west yeah. is. Which is backwards in Wizard of Oz, by the way. Oh, yeah. And All right, let me finish how this real thinking. quick. I'll finish this real quick. According to the cosmological myth, These two realms existed side-by-side as the good-evil phenomena are inseparable without active enmity.
0: And that from Demonology, Ritual Principles, and Worship Grimoires. So yeah, I thought that was cool because it had the same thing we were talking about with Black Elk and the kind of the Thunderbird and the Wolf of the East, and they, they break it down, and they're nowhere near
1: each other. I'm so caught up on the Wizard of Oz in my head right now. Yes, yeah, the Wicked that. Witch of the West was the right, evilest. Well, wasn't her sister, I don't know if I have this lore right, because there's like more behind it now. People have written other books and stuff, and I feel like there's something out there about how the Wicked Witch of the East was actually even worse than the one from the West. But either way... yeah. Let's they, find that out. Both That's east, important. Wizard of Oz, both east and west, were the bad yeah. witches, and the north and south were the good. So they crossed. They weren't up against each other like that. They crossed. They right. were like perpendicular instead of parallel.
0: Interesting. Can can we release the flying monkeys? Please. <laughs> Smithers. <laughs> But, yeah, I would actually like to know a little bit more on that because it follows it, like I always say, or it mimics life, it would be interesting if they got that right as well. I'll I'll take a note for old business. There we go. Going from yin-yang to absolute good as evil is the darkest road of all. And We talked about that a little bit. The shamanic journey takes place up through the center, of course, of the medicine wheel, so you're kind of breaking out a whole new door. Uh, Or from this other grimoire, actually the same grimoire, The evil earns its importance only through the primary dualistic opposition of world concept, we humans and other realms, or spirits and gods. A conflict turns bad into evil. In our case, it is the sickness of sun spirit caused by the eastern ruler, was originally only the bad, not evil phenomenon. So we have bad turned evil, usually with the input of colonization. It seems to magnify that for whatever reason. I mean, because it's terrible. <laughs> it ends up being terrible for the people out to endure it.
1: So it is a scale. Like, you can be bad, but not necessarily evil. <laughs> well, like yeah. Like, there's, there's in-betweens. You're not all or nothing on either side. Or it is more yin and yangy,
0: again, where it's not something that's necessary. The wolf isn't bad by eating the deer. It's balancing the population. It's taking right. that step further and then just, you know. Killing all the deer for sport would be that step. That's where you go, evil. It's when you mad at make it piss off a Sasquatch and he tries to eat you.
1: Yeah, (laughs) don't take pot shots in the woods, kids. The Sasquatch will get you.
0: As another side theme, guardian therianthropes pop up again in the north as well. There's a somewhat universal theme among Native American tribes as well as those circumpolar Arctic folks, the Chukchi and the Tungus, who we talked about. Uh, Same with Greece and India, there's these guardian dogs at the threshold of the underworld. Uh, Since we find the upper Paleolithic northern Eurasian sources, it makes the guardian hound potentially one of the oldest myths. The guardian dog or dog spirit guide might be truly ancient, might be first as far as old. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a theory. Some believe it's the proto-myth
1: uh the guardian like from back uh, before humans were even quite human yeah kind w- of thing
0: i might argue that but i'm not sure but what what are the two main mythological harbingers of doom or or guardian kind of things of doom yeah well there's two there's harbingers of doom yeah i guess let's just do harbingers
1: of doom i would say uh the owl and the wolf you got it It's owl and dog yeah oh, really? i got them both you got you, you yeah yeah sweet
0: nice And Patriot fans, the other one that you missed, but that's okay. (laughs) Yes, we bring death everywhere we go. (laughs) Death and destruction. Well, uh, other shapeshifter theories. So we're going to shift away from the Arctic now. That was just to give you pick one kind of cosmological thing that's going on up there that I found was interesting and to talk more specifically about the energies involved and what we're seeing with shapeshifting and why. And again, I could have picked the Inuit. I don't think it's gonna be that much different. I don't think if no matter what tribe I picked. Now I don't wanna shovel things in. There's the Volcadonkin and donkin, and I don't wanna step on anyone's Volcadonkin. That these are these well the cultures are different and they believe what they believe and they don't like to be shoveled into boxes. Uh however, we do look for the similarities, even though there are those
1: Volkadonk differences within the cultures sure and as much as any of us are protective of our specific culture We all at some point have to accept the fact That they all come from similar places and there's background, you know, there's only so many places that everything comes from at a certain point And it is all tied together. I don't care how into your culture you are There are other cultures that are very similar to yours slight variation farther away you get from it, the variations get bigger, but there will still be similarities. And it could be part of the, because it's all bubbling up
0: from the darker structures and and areas of the brain. And that's one of the theories, and that's where it seems to be coming back to. It's not necessarily all I'm going to be on about theory-wise, but it's definitely one of them at this point. It's in contention. In the end, we are all
1: subject to the human condition.
0: Yep. Here's another shapeshifter theory, cryptids with human voices, Kevin Andoag, A-N-D-O-A-G, not sure how to pronounce that. I found one on mimicry because we've been talking about that so much. He says the crocata, a dog-fox blend, originated in India, and the azotl is a dog-sized creature with a hand tail, remember that, like those yep, like yep. those uh, rodents that we found tipping canoes. And the Kawaso of Japan, which is kind of a, We've talked about all of these, but they all share this one element that they all kind of basically mimic to lure and kill. And again, they're not the only ones, but he uses these as an example. He says, The unique trait that all three cryptids that originate from completely different parts of the world shared that they could all produce some level of human speech, a trait that could have been given to them by people to personify a fear they had, the fear of each other, the fear of outgroup. So again, outside of the boundary becomes personified. This becomes thing, something that can mimic and lure you back over the other side of the boundary. It's generated from within the culture's fear of things that are outside, and that's why it it gets this personification of speech. The fear of the other. Yep. It's in everything. So this is a variation of you know you know the Adelit we talked about last week, which we won't. It's still a Christmas special. <laughs> represents the enemy infiltrating the tribe the outsider the child born of a wolf the lycanthropic enemy within and fear of outgroup and this is back to Kevin again Is part of this monster theme because it is outside the boundary of society Christianity drew such a stark line everything on the other side of that line became demonic and the old God became a demon and the old shaman became a monster and the old belief system was banished beyond the boundary of acceptable a similar but opposite event happened to the occupied and apostolicized tribes. This is also the tr- where the trickster lives. Where the monster lives, it's where the trickster lives. They're all on the edge on the boundaries, and they changed the boundaries in time. So societally things change, but the monster and the trickster are the ones pushing at those boundaries all the time. It's true. The boundaries are always changing, no yep. matter how you look at it. And six out of our 37 highlighted shapeshifters had that ability. Well, six out of seven identified as tricksters. More than that, I'd have to look back, Or mimics.
1: We always find this ability to mimic. The tricksters are... The mimicking, I think, is a big part of the whole trickster thing. Like, that's that's a big part of their... uh Bag of tricks, I guess you could say. Well, for this, I
0: said the six of 37 shapeshifters were tricksters. And I think it was like, I have to look back, but there was like nine or ten were mimics, the shapeshift. So, again, there's they identify as tricksters. They also are mimics. It says whirlwinds. We don't have that column. You want less columns, and I want to add whirlwinds now. I've started <laughs> fixing it. Oh, um, I appreciate
1: that. I just got to figure out how to actually get it to people because the format it's in, like, I put everything in the little notes. Yeah. So I can't just, like, post it, like, a picture somewhere. I have right. to, like, actually get people the file. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, like, figure out how to get that on Patreon right or something.
0: Yeah. But depth psychology, we already discussed, so I'm going to kind of skip that. Everybody's probably sick of that. yak yeah, acquisition process, we already gonna we talked about oh, that. Yeah, we've done and that. So let's get right to your. We can skip all this and actually jump to you. I have one more reading for Jeremy today, and again, this is a mainstream psychological explanation on mimicry and shamanism to some degree, and that identifying with an animal. And this comes more from the psychological
1: realms than the shamanic, because we've kind of okay. shifted into some of the theories. We do want to cover that side as well. So let's let's see what this says. David Abram's informative book, Becoming Human, 2010, is relevant to this analysis since it explains his personal journey in becoming the animal other. Taught by his shaman friend, Sonam, Abram learns the shamanic ways of mimicking certain animals. Abram marvels at Sonam's ability to imitate the croaks and gutturals of ravens with such realism so that these avians would approach him. Also, the shaman adroitly mimics the ravens' peculiar walking style. Abram points out that this kind of sensuous mimicry of the animal other is the most visceral way of feeling one's corporeality with the latter, necessitating a rearrangement of a shaman's sensorium. After weeks of recalibrating his senses to becoming aware of the ravens around him, Abram notices one day a raven pecking meat from a carcass. Immediately, he felt sensations on his neck and chest as though the raven was tearing at his own body. In this vignette, Abram experiences a kind of community between himself and the raven, constituting in a transformation of his psyche beyond his corporeal self. And that from neuroquantology.com.
0: And again, this is a researcher becoming a raven under the tutelage of a shaman.
1: So more of that, please. I find it interesting, though, that he's attempting to commune with the raven, but once he has kind of that, for lack of another term, kind of satori moment when Mm -hmm. he's like, oh, I feel it, Mm -hmm. he's actually feeling what the, carcass feels not what the raven feels creepy that's weird it's weird yeah but i
0: would love to see more on this when i catch anything neurobiological that relates to what we're talking
1: about i'm going to try to snag it yeah i'd I'd love to have like a whole episode on that so we'll get find it
0: if i can find stuff that's worth bringing and new to people i will do that other thing, we're just going to go over it because we already talked about it, so just briefly, but that 4 to 4.5 hertz is reached through shamanic drumming, and that's also the visionary action zone for meditation. There's that vibration thing again. That vibration thing again. But we also saw today how colonization plus stress plus shamanic culture plus oppression plus genocide equals trouble. We actually talked about that with the skin Walkers. episode a little bit. It spells trouble, basically, and you end up with these third, fourth, and night shift work going on in the Nahuel
1: side of things. Well, yeah, I mean, bad begets bad, and things tend to multiply when it keeps, t- go, you know, happening over and over and over again. It's like exponential growth of bad.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: And then it's, a, you know, like, like in the Wiccan side of things, you put out bad, you get threefold back. Yep. Good or bad. You put out good and you get three times as much back. You put out bad, you get three times as much back. You're going to get back what you give, but more. You're going to yeah. get back more than you put out of what you put out. Yep. So
0: that's why we want to be on the journey from hate to love, not love to hate.
1: <laughs> I always have to like check you and make sure you said it right. <laughs> Correct. From hate to love. We're traveling toward love, Moz. Toward love. I got gotcha. you. I'm there. I'm trying. <laughs> are you though
0: (laughs) I'm sorry let's read the rest of my apology now we'll just just have you do another one next time you should see what he cut (laughs) out I mean you thought that was bad (laughs) but I also have a first shaman theory I wanted to get to because that's what this is all about a little bit I became fascinated with the origin mythos of shamanism how do we get here story of how the first shamans came to be this comes from Jaguar Bird that I'm going to read and again it'll be in the show notes in the very earliest times, man lived in the dark and had no animals to hunt. They got their food from the earth, they lived on the soil, they had no shamans, but they knew sickness and it was fear of sickness and suffering that led to the coming of the first shaman. Human beings have always been afraid of sickness, and far back in the very earliest times, there arose wise men who tried to find out about the things that none could understand case the Inuit first shaman plunged to the depth of the sea realm to kind of find that we kind of always find these same variations with these first shaman doing the making the rainbow bridge in Australia they're the ones who make the connection between the gods and the world and bring this knowledge
1: It's always in attempting to understand the unknown right or sickness
0: fear sickness why we die every all the big questions of life the universe and everything right right Um, The shaman would say the spirits helped him, spirits that he had entered into contact with out in the great solitude. Thus the first shaman appeared among men. Children who are believed to be the shaman are called Tarakut, Inglit, or those who have eyes in the dark. Among the copper Inuit, the shaman is called the Ilik, one who has eyes because he or she can see things that ordinary people cannot. The Igilik word of shaman is Angakut, and the name comes from the spirit that enables one to see. The Ankaku consists of a mysterious light that the shaman suddenly feels in his or her body, inside his or her head, within the brain, an unexplainable searchlight, a luminous fire, which enables him or her to see in the dark. That Cowan's fire in the head again. I thought that was a good summary for some of this stuff, because it, it's, a, again, an, an Inuit shaman, and it kind of sums up kind of what
1: we've been talking about. I like that it lets him see in the dark, too. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and to see what is not seen. That theme is throughout shamanism. Yeah, I mean, taken both literally and figuratively, there's a lot to that, giving them the ability to see in the darkness, especially if you're talking talking Arctic-type cultures because some of them live in a place where it's dark for a long time that's all right. at once. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah both once. literally and figuratively seeing in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that. that's a really cool philosophy to get into there. Yeah. And Joseph Campbell,
0: the myth guy, he, he I came across a thing where he calls the first shaman the super shaman, which I term now Uber Ishta Monstrum because it's also a monster. I make up words, so that's uber what I do. Uber
1: Ishta Monstrum. Yeah,
0: I'll work on that mm. in my you know, my wordsmithing skills. You know, mm. But interesting shaman are sometimes described as jugglers from the Ojibwe tradition, which is medieval trickster, Young talks about. The shaman is in charge of the shadow, another Jungian tie in. So the shaman, the first shaman, I think, is our Mr. Perkin Jenkins. He's the guy who creates monsters. He's the one who generates monsters. He's the one who connected between the gods and earth. He brought some good, some bad, some ugly. Uh, He's often associated with the evil brother, though. But he gets the work done. See, Jeremy? I
1: get the work done. Well, it's like when you get into the vampire mythos, and so many vampire stories always say there was the one original vampire from which it all sprung. Yeah. The shaman is kind yeah. of the same thing. It all came yeah. from that one spot. Yeah. That's that one what, guy figured it out, and the knowledge has been getting passed around ever since. That's why
0: Lestat went looking for the first exactly. one.
1: You know. My favorite vampire. There you go.
0: This from the Midwaywin or Grand Medicine Society of the Ojibwa, by W.J. Hoffman. The Algonquin linguistic stock is evident not only because of the reference to the sorcerers and the peculiar methods of procedure, but also that the name of the Macabachia... M-I-C-A-B-O-C-H-E, an Algonquin divinity appears. The spirit who acted as an intercessor between Kichimanadu, the great spirit, and the Indians is known among the Ojibwe as Minabotso, also here, Nanabotso and a million other names. There's a kind of a story I came across in Alexander Elliot of Minabotso, and he's associated with the great hare, uh, the rabbit, but he also has a brother, Chibayabus. Who The Ma- the Manitou, which the, he, they describe in this one as the Manitou. I always thought the Manitou was just a great spirit, but this is more the Pawnee ancestral spirits kind of ganged up and, and sn- you know attacked the brother out on some thin ice and drowned him. It's really made yikes the great, yeah, made the great hare, Nanabotso, the first shaman, very angry, and that plunged the world into darkness. They actually, the ancestral spirits, had to kind of get together and kind of build a lodge and make an offering and... Eventually, oh, wow. years later, I think it was like six or eight years later, Nanabotso goes into the lodge. They have a banquet. They're all forgiven. They smoke the peace pipe. And then they give him the medicine, uh, of, of which became the Midway society Society, sh- the different shamans. So he's kind of the founder, the first one to kind of get it from the gods. You found um, him. You in, some ways, found him in, in some ways. In some ways. Manabotso? Manabotso. In some ways, he, he fits the bill as the as the first. Now, there's always the first shaman. To, I just picked one. Do we have? It was, kind of a, you know, it was a cool one. There's Raven. There's other ones out there for sure. Do we have a timeline on this guy? How far back are you going? It just goes so far back into the dawn of time. You know, and every first shaman is the, or the origin myths of a different tribe. They all have the same similarities. Like I said, I really was debating between Raven and Nanabotso. Today I went with Nanabotso. Maybe we'll learn about Raven another time. But he's definitely another changeling wow. first He kind. And there's, there's a number of others from a number of other tribes. You found the first shaman, Maz. See, this
1: is why we need a podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, again, everyone has their first Shaman story. I picked one because sure, I thought sure. it was kind of again. It was related to that. It, it also relates to when we do kushtika because he is a giant hare. But otter is the main medicine. Well, you know, basically he uses the otter as a yak, which is the kushtika which is half man, uh-huh. half otter. So there's all always tie-ins that are going to come when we do kushtika
1: They're all working together. They're all working
0: together. It's a conspiracy. But some believe it. it's a cryptspiracy. <laughs> there you go. But some believe the existence of the middle society of the shamans are strengthening the case for how the circumpolar group of Greenland, Iceland, Scandinavia, Siberia, Canada, and northern Japan really had all these similar mythic origins. When you read the Algonquin tales, they do seem to tie in with the tales from the Norse Viking area as well. So you talk about trying of flip to the other side. Charles Godfrey Leland makes a compelling case. It's an old book. It's on the Internet I- archives. The Algonquin Legends of New England. He, does, he finds Loki. He finds some similarities. If you, if you actually read it with that lens, you can see what he's getting at, that some of the Algonquin stories sound a little bit like some of our Nordic Thor and Loki stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, sure, so, sure.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of cool. But Nenobotso is described by the Ojibwa as a master shaman who trains the first shamans, eventually becomes the midway one. He also can turn himself into a tree trunk as a shapeshifter. Now, put a pin in that, because we're going to get back to why a tree trunk ends up being important.
1: I don't oh, know where and when. I'm going to have something to say on that. Yeah. When, when are we doing that? I don't know. Okay. I get lost. I don't put a pin in it. I hope someone's keeping track yeah, of the pins, because I have no idea. We, oh, yeah. My, you go mycelian. No, no, <laughs> not, not even that. There's, there's magic in tree roots. But yeah, we'll save yeah. that for another time. There you go. So he's a
0: proto-shamanic, Prometheus-like figure who brings the tribe the shamanic and, and th- thus forbidden knowledge. He challenges the power of the gods. He creates this cosmic tension, this power struggle. It is the same thing in a lot of different stories, but I chose him as our Mr. Perkin
1: Jenkins, the monster creator generator uh, creature of the week. So That's great that they actually have the mythos on where the stuff came from. I I thought it was a mystery of time, but there's actually stories behind I mean, mythic-type stories, but still, that that can help lead you to some real truth, maybe, ultimately.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'll return here for sure, but I think we should end with Cthulhu.
1: Everything we, ends with, with Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think we should. Or Kandarian demons or, you know, Gozer the Gozerian. You know, I don't know how we'll tie that in, but
1: let's just... Gozer is like Cthulhu's puppet, man. <laughs> I still think David Bowie would have made a great Gozer. Oh, uh, dude, he so should have been Gozer. I know. You can't go back. You can't do it. He probably would have cost too much. Yeah. it really is. Still he still should have made He probably happen. would have gotten paid more than Bill Murray did for that movie if they got David Bowie for that. He was he was huge by then.
0: I agree. Hey, I have a whole guano for you. I actually have two. I know we were in a long episode, but I have two.
1: Well, that makes sense. This is a culmination of like a six-episode arc, yeah, so ajo Ahoguano's actually kind of makes sense. And there it is Christmas. Know. Give them an extra there one. There you it's go. A surprise present. Exactly. Well, you'll decide whether it's a present. <laughs> I didn't say they wanted it. It's like when your grandma gives you that sweater that's all yeah. itchy when yeah. you put it on. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. it's one of those presents. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Here it comes. Quick to the batshit signal. <laughs>
0: Here's the theory. My guanophile first theory is, oh, it's your latitude. The closer to the poles you get, the more haunted our species gets. Extra magnetism creates the Van Allen monsters. Poles have twice the estimated magnetism as near the equator, and this extra current is believed to spark an increase in paranormal occurrences. This is the first time I thought about shifting one of my batshit theories into the actual theories folder, but I kept it here just for you. But remember, we talked about that uh, Havana syndrome. Maybe there's a variation of this. When you know? say just
1: for you, you mean me specifically, right? <laughs> exactly. so up my alley right there. <laughs> the magnetic fields changing the vibrations and stuff, making people more likely to fall into that realm of perception. But it's like the
0: God helmet we talked about with Olaf Blank and Metzger and those guys who kind of transcranial, you know, that, that basically sub-stimulation of the brain causes all these strange effects. And if you're doubling the magnetism near the poles, I think there's something maybe to that.
1: That makes sense to me, at least as a theory to be looked into. Yeah. But here's my double, double aguano file. Now play I'm the
0: segment again. Play the segment again. Owl guano.
1: Oh no! Here it comes.
0: <whistles> Quick to the batshit signal. <whistles> Admiral Bird flies over the South Pole, sees a giant hole leading into the Earth. Right. I think from those from that hole emerged those ice weasels,
1: and I, that's part of my ice weasel shaman complex. Some we'll say about. that's where the UAPs come from as well. Yeah. I, I Well, there's I, a lot of theories of what comes out of that hole at the bottom of the earth.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the ice weasels are, are important and often neglect. Not discussed enough in these yeah. cryptos. Especially well, you can
1: only see them when you're on LSD. That's <laughs> the problem. And that's the you got to hang
0: out with my friend Fred. It's the you only, only wavelength
1: they exist at, <laughs> is the LSD wavelength? <laughs>
0: exactly. And now for our Scully Muggle Skeptics Review.
1: Sir Richard Scully Muggle Skeptics Review. You're, you're, you're full of crap, and that's the nicest thing that I can say. People cannot
0: physically change into animals. Dana Scully, Season 1, X-Files, Shapes. She doesn't say molder at the end, but it's implied. She's always you know very she's succinct, that
1: Scully. She's yeah. very
0: succinct. I didn't mention Fregoli syndrome, by the way. It's the delusional belief that one or more familiar persons are, are persecuting you and repeatedly like, changing their appearance around you. Mm-hmm. So there is a there is a actual psyche, psychiatric disorder.
1: I have a really quick and to the point skeptics review. Flesh is just Plato. No, it's not. There you go. That's my skeptic's review.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. Or it could be just Odo from Deep Space Nine. We I didn't mean, even mention yeah,
1: that. Yeah, I mean, in the end, when you look at it from the quantum sort of side, it almost should be malleable like that. You just have to know how to do it. Yeah, I don't know how to do it. It's cloaking and uncloaking. I really want to know how to do it. Yeah, well, we're
0: going to find out. There's going to be lessons at the end of it. We're going to have a lab. This is just a lecture. Eventually, there's a lab.
1: If I do ever figure it out, Mm Moz, the first thing I will turn into is an ice weasel just for you. Oh. Just for you.
0: That's really the nicest thing I've heard this episode. Yeah. So... But anyway, there's also exopraxia, echolalia, some type of automatic imitation that these cre- creatures possess. I don't know if it has anything to do with neuron, you know, mirror neurons or not. I'll have to go into that more, but I want to kind of wrap this up because this is a long episode, so I'm trying to get through this. But I did find this great breakdown of Roger Walsh's book on shamanism where he compares schizophrenia to the shaman, to the tantric meditator, and he kind of checks the boxes of where they're similar and where they differ. Really interesting. Almost a good side trailie someday. There you go. Kind of thing. That does sound interesting. Yeah, I'd like to read that. Yep. And us files. You might have noticed no us files for this one, but Jeremy is planning to hunt some ice weasels next year. He just said it. Uh, first expedition to the frozen
1: north turned up nothing. Like you had to lick your pickaxe. It was nope, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> It was just a, it was a preliminary kind of scouting mission. I was literally only in Alaska for three days. I got the feel of the place. Next summer, I definitely want to go up there, and my serious, honest plan, if I can pull it off, is to go out into the bush for like three days by myself and see if I can at least visually capture the
0: Yeti. And for your tenacity going back up there, we have some plans to trick to catch some now that we understand what we're looking for, we might be able to find some. But for your tenacity and going up there again, I would like to give you mad cujos.
1: Oh my god, I won a mad cujos you do. award. Ah, boy.
0: You do. I mean you haven't even gone yet, but you already went once and there's some pretty exciting thing and you're going back and you're gonna find something and it's it's very exciting. So I'm, I'm not I won't be joining excited. you. Remember it was like Marlon Perkins in Wild Kingdom. Like he stayed in the helicopter and the other guy did everything. Mm-hmm. That's going to be me. There you go. I'll be. Mm-hmm. I'll
1: stay in the chopper while you wrestle the Because you're the positiva and I'm the negativa. Yeah. I am the one who has to throw myself in bottles. There you go. It's my job here. Yeah. I don't want to leap when we're talking about helicopters. Don't. Just don't. <laughs> and you know. anywho, let's wrap this thing up with our final segment. Wolfman Puck's Cryptid Culinary Corner. Oh boy. Your entree sir. So. Oh, it
0: smells good. And it comes back to the Urkenrot or the Ujkenarkapak. I will be serving those ice weasel type critters that we talked about that tip your canoe with like a prehensile tail. Oh, those you little bastards. Why? I would eat yes. them happily. Exactly. They're invasive species, I'm sure. Uh, but you want to know why in particular? Why? Because there's all types of critters in Maz's Arctic Fritters. Wow! Yeah. Nice, and I'm serving it with a nice Alaskan amber from Alaskan Brewing
1: Company. You're making so. ice weasel fritters. Ice weasel fritters with a nice amber oh, beer. You stole my Alaskan An amber. amber. That's one of the best beers in Alaska, in my mind. That there Alaskan amber is really good. I do like it, and and you can get it in Arizona, which is odd. Awesome. Oh, I had, I I have a beer, so, so I got to serve you you—you were real quick and sneaky about that like you were done before i even realized you were going so you're making ice weasel fritters
0: mm-hmm.
1: yep. i'm just you know tipping over people's canoes in nearly frozen water i'm gonna skin them alive skewer them and throw them on the fire man we're gonna have weasel kebabs nice what i'm gonna do yep. I, don't, I don't even care i just it's like killing the crawdads at the lily ponds, invasive little bastards. Get them out of there, kill them all. And if you, if you film it, it could be really like that Jack London story because
0: you're going to be trying to build a fire in the Arctic with these things trying to tip your canoe. This could really be a great
1: uh, Jack London book. Dude, like, that really freaks me out. That really freaks me. I, I was, canoe, I was uh, kayaking near a single seal in that glacial lagoon, and that freaked me out. Yeah, I don't even want to. Like, if that thing just came up and bumped, like. Yeah. I think we should do a lot more podcasts before you
0: disappear into the tundra and be one of. You know, it's also the Alaskan Triangle where everybody disappears. There's a huge section, there's a triangle from Anchorage up, and that that has a very huge disappearance rate per capita. Just because it's probably so rugged, but it's. I don't know if it's covered in Paulitis. I know, like, uh, Ken Gearhart was talking about a missing in Alaska. Is where I, but I'm sure right. David Politis is one of his hot spots.
1: I don't know. Oh, I for sure. But I forgot my beer, though. You okay. ready? No, it's right there. I've <laughs> no the beer that's going to go with my oh, okay. ice weasel skewers. Okay, is a uh, Cabin Fever Ooh. from Forty Ninth State Brewery. I actually tried that for the first time in Alaska. It was so good. Wow, so good. And what was the brewery again? Forty Ninth State Brewery. Nice. It's like State Forty Eight in Arizona. Yeah. The next there you go. state this was Alaska. Alaska, so they got the 49th state brewery. We got state 48 in Arizona. Nice.
0: Nice, nice, nice.
1: But there you go. Yeah. Quick and easy. Just a little fire on the shore up in the Arctic, some good beers and some, some ice ice weasel go. fritters and skewers. We should really combine our efforts on that. This is one of the few Wolfman pucks that I would actually be the one eating. Wow. Yeah, because you hate ice weasels that yeah, much. Like I would eat those things. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you. I mean, they don't even exist, and we hate them, yeah, you know? Yeah, like usually we're feeding the wolfman or feeding zombies or something. This one, I'm going to eat it myself. Oh, yeah. I'm going to eat I'm this with one. You. I'm with you. But last
0: food for thought, you know, like someone's liver and bits of intestine kind of thing. Exactly. But we got these same energies we talked about. We've got guardian spirits, therianthropes, red eyes, cannibalism, whirlwinds, mimicry, tricksters. Why do these things keep showing up, luring people astray all the time? Because you know, we deserve it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. But I think monsters are guardians, and guardians are shapeshifters, and shapeshifters are tricksters, and tricksters are shamans, and shamans are conduits of the psychoactive plant knowledge. So monsters are plants.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is this back
0: to my third
1: ahoguano? Well, no, where that really ends up going is it's all quantum. It's all molecular kind of thing it goes you got to break it down to the very base elements to really know what anything is and in the end nothing is one thing anyway so even then you're not going to know what it is it's going to be all these different things
0: oh we're going to figure out what it is i I think i think there's a lot of answers to be found that it it isn't this blurring of things i think there's but again you're labeling things and maz's
1: crypto theory of everything yeah Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I like it. That is why we're here ultimately. Like that was the mission we were put on when we started this podcast. So Yes. We are on a mission from someone. I wouldn't say God. No. From what, whatever. Nanobozo. From whatever that thing is. Yeah. We're on a mission from Nanobozo. We're on a mission from the unknown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't want to shortchange those other first shaman out there. There's a lot of cool ones. And uh, I think we'll touch on them more at different times. But we're going to take a break, I promise, from shamanism. As we do other monsters, they're going to be like a shaman segment where it, where it relates. Going to try to keep it to that. A lot but, more
1: individual cryptid type things coming correct. up here. Yeah.
0: But the kushtika is steeped in shamanism. Not my fault. We're going to talk about that. And I do use this to kind of solve a cryptozoological cluster sighting puzzle. I do. It's not my theory. I just think I help bolster it, and we're going to be getting to that really
1: soon as well. Very excited cool. about it. I am excited as well. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, Moz. That was a very uh, fun and informative double-part Christmas effort you put in there. I, I appreciate you going through that for the listeners and cranking Have out these episodes.
0: yourself a merry little the, cryptid.
1: The funny part is we're releasing it all at once, but it took us two weeks to record it. So our timeline is never yeah. what it looks like. But uh hope everybody enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. If you really enjoyed it, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash tour. You can get in for as little as five bucks a month. We stay ahead uh, by usually at least a month, if not more, on our recording schedule. And we put out a side trail for our members, which is kind of a little half hour or so long bonus episode after every episode in our member section as well. Can we sing Ice, Ice, Weasel to end this? Ice, I- Ice, Weasel. weasel. Ah, ah. And on that note, let's get the hell out of here. Thanks for coming, everybody. We'll see you actually tomorrow with our normal Tuesday drop because this is a Monday Christmas special. Until then, have a good one, listener. Is that from Vanilla Ice? Yeah. <laughs> vanilla Ice Weasel. Oh, uh, Vanilla Ice Weasels. Yes. <laughs> blend, just blend them up. We, we just made we dessert. We just made dessert. We just made dessert. Woohoo! Nice. Ice. Nice, nice, Uh Mozzie. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeti yak yak. Don't talk back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Shut up. <whistles>